Now, I just need to say that my voice sounds really weird because I've probably lost it um, over our conference this week, and so it, I don't normally sound like that. All right, I don't. This is my sexy voice. Hey, everyone, welcome to Lift. Um, but yeah, hopefully you'll come back to me next week. And hay fever is probably not helping me either. So um, let's see if we can get through today. We will. Let's just pray. Hey, dear Jesus, we thank you that your word is alive, it's active, it brings hope, it brings joy, it brings peace, and it brings life. And so, God, I pray for that life to be here this morning for every person that needs to be ministered to. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You know, have you ever got to a point in your life where you thought, is that, is that it? Is that it? You know, I'm, I'm kind of working, eating, sleeping, and then doing that the next day. And then... You know, I save up money to get a bigger house that has got five rooms that no one will ever fill up. Um, I go on vacations and I come back even more tired, um, you know, because of the flight that takes 17 hours. But what a privilege it is to travel 17 hours. But is there a point where we think about our lives and evaluate and go, is this what this is meant to be all about? And over this series, we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But I want to unpack for you uh, that this is not something that is meant to just be an add-on. But this is actually the focal point of Christianity. And I'm going to unpack that hopefully today and then next week. And then we'll go on and we'll describe the life that God has for us. Yeah? Exciting? And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 3 verses 1 to 17. We're going to be skipping a whole bunch of... uh, of it because it's a long passage, but let me read it to you. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the word, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, sorry, you know what, do you want to read this passage for me? Well, I just Wonderful. hit myself. You know, my dad would be really proud of me. I grew up in Catholic church and I always dreamt of being the person who would stand and give the scripture for the morning. This is my moment. Hope you're proud, dad. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the word of God came to John. All right. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of stuffed it up, Dad. Uh, The voice of one crying in the wilderness: Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see, see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Give it up for Beck. Well done. You pass. We're flying colours. You know, this is a really uh, important passage for us to consider. This is the introduction to baptism as far as we kind of read that word, you know, uh, John baptising people. Uh, and, and so this is actually a really, really important part of our Christian life. You know, I think even non-Christians understand that baptism is a pretty big deal. This is not something that we uh, muck around with. It's not something we trifle with. It's something that we see as sacred and important. And so this passage uh, unpacks for us what baptism uh, looked like um, in, 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 the early, in the early days. And, and you know, uh, when I was doing my national service a long time ago in Singapore, I started up like a Bible club because I was just like, you know, we're stuck in here five days a week. Um, let's do a thing. And so we got about eight of us. Um, and we were all from different backgrounds and different places. Uh, there was a Catholic guy. There was a couple of Methodist guys. I was a Methodist at that time. And then there was this fundamentalist Baptist. That's how he identified himself. He was a fundamentalist Baptist. And so I was like, hey, we're all Christians. Let's get together. Let's, you know, study the Word of God together. And the first day, I wanted everyone just to kind of share where they are, you know, on their faith journey, what church they're from. And, and so the fundamentalist Baptist, um, he, he said, you know, I can trace my faith roots to John the Baptist. All of you can't. All of you come from the Roman Catholic point of view, so all of you guys are corrupted. I don't think any of you are actually Christian. This was like the first meeting. I was like, um, moving on. You know, he, I traced my roots back to John. I was like, who, who passed this down? Like, how did you, how do you actually trace that? So my grandfather was baptized by John and then Peter and then, you know, Bob and Robert and go back 2,000 years of people that baptized all the way back to John the Baptist. Is that what it meant? I, I was like dumbfounded. And, you know, I, I saw something in that that actually quite repulsed me from baptism because this guy saw... The baptism in water is so sacred that it, if it was corrupted by the Roman church, he saw it as ineffective, useless. This was actually a really big deal. And so for me, I was listening to this guy and I was like, you know, you are number one, an idiot for coming to this room and telling us all that we are non-Christians. And, um, and, and yeah, so but number two, I was like, hang on, isn't baptism just a symbol? Isn't baptism just a symbol of the faith that I already have in God? So that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. What does baptism do? How, uh, what does a person gain by going through baptism? Is there anything special that happens in baptism? Why do some churches actually practice infant baptism? So that's what we're going to talk about. And, you know, I um, only recently in studying church history started to see that this is a massive issue and it's not something that, is, that we should just dismiss. 
And let me just give you a bit of church history. Um, uh, Christianity has been run by the Roman Catholic for years, you know, uh, centuries. And the Roman Catholics saw baptism as what they call a sacrament. It is a sacred practice that reveals the grace of God. St. Augustine says the, def- uh, the definition of a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. And what this is all about then is that the Catholics actually believe that when you are getting baptized, a grace is being revealed that allows you to have faith. They actually believe that there is a faith that God is giving to the person as they are being baptized, which then allows them to carry on their life as a Christian. And that's why they think, you know what? Let's baptize people as young as possible. There was actually uh, one of the early church fathers that wrote uh, a bit of an essay talking about when they should be baptized as an infant, and this is what they said. Should it be day two? Should it be day three? Or should it be day eight? Is it as early as possible? Why wouldn't we want our kids not to have a faith? This is so important that let's have these kids baptized so that the grace of God can be conferred on them and then they can then have this faith. Now, for the Catholic Church, obviously, there is that issue of, so does that mean that when you're baptized, you're already saved? Does that mean that that faith is good enough? Well, the Catholic Church dealt with this issue by instituting something called confirmation. So confirmation was to take a child through what we uh, call catechism, which is this training, um, uh, and they get to a point uh, where they get confirmed because they now are saying, I am walking and living in this faith that God gave to me at my baptism. So if you are kind of going, whoa, that's a little bit strange. It's just a symbol Like, seriously, does me sprinkling a bit of water somehow give you the ability to have faith? And, you know, a few years ago, probably I said no. But then the more I kind of dived into this, the more I thought, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be so quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You get it? (laughs) Come on, guys. I'm struggling here. Help me out. And um, isn't it wonderful that when we participate in something that God says that we should do, that God would then meet with us? If not, what's the point of gathering together? Isn't this just a symbol? Isn't singing songs just a symbol? Isn't doing good works just a symbol of our faith? Isn't all of this just symbolic of what God has already done in us. And if we believe that there is no grace that is conferred in all these symbols, then stay home. Seriously, there's, why come? And I think that that's where a lot of people are at. It's like, I don't really need anything from God, so I'm going to stay home. Um, but I think that if we can rediscover that sense of the sacred things that are that, that are carried out in the church actually was instituted by God. There's something unique. There's something powerful in it. Then maybe we will start to expect that when we are doing things that might be symbolic, we're still expecting something wonderful to happen. 
I've seen so many weddings where the groom and the bride exchange vows. It's symbolic, guys. It's not magic words. But I don't, uh, no, I know why, but so many people break down when they are saying their vows. It is a thing. They, 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 it's, it's emotional. There is something that's going on. I am so sorry for the podcast. <laughs> I might, might have to cut that bit out. Um, I know it's a bit gross, but we'll get through this. Um, it, this symbolic thing is something really, really beautiful. And one author puts it this way. He said, we know that God loves us, right? Yes? yes. Okay, so God loves us, but how do we receive his love? Let's say you know that your dad loves you. How do you receive his love? Quite often from a hug, right? When Sam doesn't see me for something like 20 minutes, he runs to me. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It is something that is precious to him, and it's a conferring of my love. Did my love exist before the hug? Yes. But was there something beautiful that happened during that embrace? Yes. And so maybe baptism has a little bit more to do. Uh, there, there is a bit more that is happening in the background. Um, and of course, when we look at this story that we've just read in Luke chapter 3, in verse 3, it says that John the Baptist was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Hold up. Think about that. He was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. John the Baptist baptized people because as they went through this rite of water baptism, they were repenting and receiving forgiveness. This is not just, uh, it's not just some kind of like fun frolicking in the water. This is something that was really meaningful to the point where Jesus said, I need to get baptized to fulfill all righteousness. There was something about that. And then Jesus, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of my commands. Jesus tells us that baptism is something that is really important. And therefore, if you are a bit of a nerd and you want to know this, that's why sometimes baptism is called an ordinance, because it was an order that Jesus gave to us. So it's called a sacrament because it's sacred and it reveals God's grace. It's an ordinance because Jesus commands us to do it. And so obviously there must be something more that is going on here and there's something that we can catch. And so I did a little bit of work for you guys because I love you. And um, I, I looked a little bit more into where baptism came from because we think that John the Baptist uh, created and, and, and um, he invented it. No, he didn't. He borrowed it from the Jewish customs. See, in the Jewish custom, they had some, uh, something called ceremonial washing that took place in something called a mikvah, M-I-K-V-A-H. It is, literally means the meeting of waters, they get some running water, some different kind of waters, and they put it into this pool, and people would go into the pool uh, to wash. And this was particularly, this is when they needed to wash. They needed to wash if they're going to the temple, they needed to wash before getting married, uh, and they needed to wash women, uh, needed to wash after their menstruation. That's what the Bible tells us in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And why they needed to wash is because 
and a symbol around it is that the mikvah was known both as a womb and also as a grave. And so when they went into this mikvah, they were saying, I am dying and I'm being reborn. And that's why it was so important for them to come to God and go through the waters of the mikvah because they were saying, I'm cleansed of all my sins. So John the Baptist wasn't making this up. This was already a part of the Jewish custom. But most scholars actually believe that more specifically, uh, John the Baptist was borrowing from the proselytizing of Gentiles to become Jews. What that means is that if Gentiles wanted to become Jews, uh, there was another washing that was also conducted in the mikvah. And so for men, you know, the whole menstruation thing was like, man, you know, women have to do this. Well, for Gentile men to become a Jew, they needed to get circumcised. So I guess God kind of went, you know what, I would rather just get washed uh, multiple times rather than have a little snip snip happening. But, you know, um, so the men would need to get circumcised and then go to the mikvah and women would just need to go through the mikvah. What they were saying when they went through the mikvah is that they were saying, I'm no longer a Gentile. I am dead to my Gentile life, my Gentile culture, my Gentile ways, and I'm now being birthed in becoming a Jew. I am now a true Jew, a pure Jew. And we can see this um, when Jesus met up with Nicodemus, uh, who was one of the Pharisees, and um, they were having a chat, and uh, Nicodemus wanted to know, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven, etc. And then Jesus says um, in John 3, 5-6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so we, if you read that story, Nicodemus went, how can a person my age be born again, right? And when we read that, we think that Jesus was being literal in terms of being born again, but not in the Jewish mindset. And Nicodemus was saying that I have already been born into my Jewishness. I am now, I have washed, I have gone through all of that, I am a true Jew. That's what he was saying. And he said, what else am I meant to be becoming? Because I've already done this. This is God's people. This is the kingdom. That's their Jewish mindset at that time. The Jewish people were God's people, and they were already God's chosen kingdom. But Jesus says to them, says to him, no, 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 no. Being Jew doesn't confer a greater righteousness or it doesn't bring you to the kingdom. He says you need to be born of the water and of the spirit. And so that's something that we're going to look at now. Because John was, in preparing the way for Jesus, what he was doing is that he was preaching a baptism of repentance, right? Remember that? Coming back to what he was saying, he was going around preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He was telling people to repent. What does repent mean? It means to change your mind. It means to turn around. So let's say this pulpit is the kingdom of God. What John was saying was that for all the people who were walking away, he was saying you need to repent which is turned back to the kingdom. And John was pretty nasty. He says, you brood of vipers, who told you to escape the coming wrath? Because the kingdom of God is where life is. 
And so this is where judgment and death is. And so when the people heard about what John was saying, they were so excited about the life of the kingdom because the Pharisees hadn't taught them about the life of the kingdom. He taught them about the rules of the kingdom, but not the life of the kingdom. And so when they heard John the Baptist talking about this repentance that, <coughs> sorry, that brought about this life, they were excited and they came to him in droves <coughs> and they were coming to John in repentance for the forgiveness of sin. However, John says this, which is really, really important. He, the, the people started to think, are you the Messiah? Are you bringing the kingdom to us? And John said, no, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We're going to talk about the fork and the unquenchable fire next week, I think. Uh, but I want you to see this. John was saying, I'm not the Messiah who's bringing the kingdom to you. I am the guy that brings you to the gate of the kingdom. The gate. You've repented, you turn away from sin, and you come towards the kingdom, and you are saying, God, I'm going to die to this life, and I want to live in this life. And then John says, I'm only getting you to the gate. Where the life is, is when Jesus comes and baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the life of the kingdom. If you are going around and you're asking yourself, is there all that there is? Perhaps it is because you might have gone to the gate and you looked into the kingdom, but you haven't experienced the life of the kingdom. You might be on the outside and you said, I've repented and all of that, but you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to come into your life to show you about the kingdom. Let me read to you Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. This is a prophetic declaration of what Jesus is going to do. Uh, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And when we look at that, we go, well, there we go. It's still about the rules. But what we need to understand is that to the Jewish mindset, the ability to truly obey God is where life is at. And they had gone through so much life where they have discovered that they were unable to live according to God's ways. And they were therefore stumbling in their life. And they needed a baptism of repentance. But far more than that, we need a baptism in the Holy Spirit. So as we finish today, what goes on in a spirit baptism? And you know, there's all this Pentecostal theology I've taught on all of this stuff before. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? 
And you know, theologians have wrestled with this. Is it something that is separate to water baptism? Is it one that is a repentance and one that is a filling with the Spirit? Is that completely different? Is, is one actually going into water and one where someone prays for you? Is that what it is? And what happens to the Holy Spirit when we actually come to, him, come to God in the first place? Doesn't the, Holy, doesn't the Bible tell us that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us and gives us the ability to have faith? Something that the Catholic Church, I think, gets very right in that respect. And I struggled with this as I was looking into this. Because I do believe that the Bible shows us that there is something different that happens to us when we seek after the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When you read the book of Acts, there are people who know about Jesus. They want to follow Jesus, but they still need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's often conferred by the praying. But does the Holy Spirit lead us to Christ and then disappear for a little while until you're ready with the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Is that what happens? And so Anthony Palmer, who is a theologian, wrote this. The Spirit works internally in a repentant and believing person to effect the new birth. He does not then depart from the believer to come back again at the time of infilling. Some are confused because um, of spirit baptism imagery that the New Testament uses, such as baptized in, poured out, falling upon, coming upon. But these are only figurative and graphic ways of portraying an overwhelming experience of the already indwelling spirit. This is why some call out a release of the already indwelling spirit. And theologians have been wrestling with this recently, that there is multiple releases. There's an initial release, if you will, that's often accompanied by the speaking in tongues. But the Bible actually tells us to keep on being filled. There is greater and greater release of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why does that happen? I think, and this is my thoughts, is that the more I journey with God, the more I see that He has the life that I need. And so I'm willing to follow His ways because that is where life is at. So if you're sitting in this room and you have repented before, fantastic. The forgiveness of sins have been given to you, fantastic. But do you have life? Do you have kingdom life? Are you living in such a way that there is something inside of you that is going, I want a greater release of the Holy Spirit. I want a greater release of what God wants to do in my life. I don't want to do a nine-to-five job and get a nice house and get a nice car and live a nice kind of lifestyle but not have life. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose their soul? So church, at the start of this series, I wanted to bring us back to this place of the Spirit is life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is joy. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is life. And our church has a mission to inspire people to live, and not just live and get through another day, but to really, really, really live. And so we can get the band up.
God's forgiveness, your repentance gets you to the gate. But life comes from the Spirit. How much do you want life? How much do you want life? Over this week at conference, I realized, as we, you know, people were sharing and all of that, I realized that sometimes I prefer to do things my way. I prefer to figure out things by myself because then I get the big tick. You know, I figured out life. I'm living life. But then as we went through this conference, I had this sense that God was saying to me, no, you can have the appearance of life, but it's not really anything unless I'm truly in it. And over this conference, we talked about humility as the gateway, as the access for more of God's grace, for more of His power, more of His love, more of His Spirit in us. And I recognize that so often I am happy to live without the Spirit. But I felt God say to me, come on, you're just living in the shadows. You're just living in the shadows. Someone here in this room needs to know you're just living in the shadows. This is not all that God has for you. This is not the end point. This is not where it all kind of comes together. This is not it. This is just a waypoint. This is just one moment and God wants to take you deeper into His kingdom if you will let His Spirit be released in you. And so this morning, I want us to take this opportunity to consider, have I let the Spirit in? Have I been pursuing a greater release of the Holy Spirit in my life? And if you're in this place and you're like, I want to be hungry for more, I need more of the Spirit, then can I ask you to be humble and brave and to step out and to say, God, I need more. Come to the front. Someone will pray with you. I'm believing for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm believing that God wants to give more this morning. Let me pray and then the band's gonna lead us in this song. And if you want ministry, if you wanna pray, if you want someone to pray for you, why don't you just come on down, Beck and myself. And the other team will be here and ready to pray with you. Can we stand? Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We know that you are life. You know that you are light. We know you give us what we cannot achieve in and of ourselves. So God, I pray that you help us to come to you with open hands and open hearts for more of the release of your spirit inside of us. God, I pray to God that you are doing something exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond. That is what your desire is. You have come that we can have life and life abundantly. That is something that you have promised us. And so God, I pray that we'll be stirred up to pursue and to see and to live out this life that you've given to us. 
Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.